Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. It's a question that I know that you all already know the answer to. I already know the answer to it, but I want to ask it anyway. And, and just a tip for everybody, when I ask this question, this is not a time for you to look at anybody who's in your row. It's not a time for you to point at somebody, and it's certainly not a time for you to elbow anybody, okay? So just a tip before I ask this question. The, the question is this. Has anyone ever been mean to you? Has anybody ever done something, said something, acted in such a way that was just mean? Now, to be really clear, I'm not talking about people who were physically abusive or sexually abusive because that's illegal, I'm talking about just a time when somebody said something or did something that was just nasty. It was just mean. It was just divisive. Has that ever happened to you? When I ask that question, I bet some of you probably start to think of maybe somebody from school. Maybe a bully at school was mean to you growing up, and maybe their face pops into your mind. Maybe you think of a teacher who, for whatever reason was particularly mean to you, particularly hard on you. When I ask this question, has anybody ever been mean to you? Maybe the face of an old boss popped into your head. You know that old boss that you used to have at your old work who would uh, single you out and just be mean to you for whatever reason? Maybe you think of somebody who you know, was in a store one time who was mean to you, or maybe you think of somebody who gave you a mean gesture while you were driving. Maybe... Maybe that happened on the way to church today. Who knows? Maybe it happened in the church car park. I don't know. I hope it didn't, but maybe it did. The point, though, is that we have all had people who were mean to us at one time or another. We've all experienced that. Now, maybe, and I I hope that this isn't the case, but maybe somebody's going to watch this message or listen to this message some time from now, and when I ask that question and they hear that, maybe you are the person that they will think about. Maybe you are the person who has been mean to them and you will come into their mind. Now, I'm sure that that's not the case because I know that here at Suncoast, I'm surrounded by some of the best people on the Sunshine Coast. Am I right? So I know that's not the case, but maybe, just maybe, that might happen to you. Now, I know that none of us mean to be mean, We don't mean to be nasty, and that's why today, my goal by the end of this message is to give you the secret to avoid being the person that people think of when they think of mean people. I want to give you the one tip that will avoid you being the person that comes to mind when people think of mean people in their life. And this is important, especially today, because unlike any other time, I think in, in history, well, certainly the history that I can remember more than any other time, we seem to be in a season where things are just so divisive, right? We seem to be in this season where there's so much polarization, where, where people just seem to be snarky and mean towards each other. And when we get caught up in that sort of thing, we need to have a plan on how we're going to respond when the conversation turns mean, when the conversation turns polarizing. We need to have a plan ahead of time because if we don't have a plan ahead of time, we end up acting like the people we don't even like. We end up acting like people we don't even like. And this happens usually because we want to get even with someone we don't even like. 
If we don't have a plan going in, that's what happens. And we have to have a plan. And having a plan is going to be especially helpful when that crazy relative comes over to your house with all of their conspiracy theories. (laughs) Having a plan ahead of time is going to help you in that situation. It's also going to help you with that person from work who always says those things that are just so jarring and they're so inflammatory. And it's particularly going to help be helpful. Having a plan is going to be especially helpful in the place where most inflammatory conversations come up, online, on social media, right? Having a plan going in is going to help you avoid getting into a heated debate online. Now, as an online and social media pastor, I've had my fair share of heated conversations online over the years. One of the ones that comes to mind most when I think of heated conversations online happened to me in March 2019. This was a full year before COVID took over absolutely everything, right? It was March 2019. And at the start of 2019, my family and I were living and working in Atlanta, and Fox News had been trying to contact me at our church office because they wanted me to write an article for them. And I'd been putting it off for a couple of months getting back to them, but eventually I got back to them and they said they wanted me to write a story for them about the future of the church. And when I processed that a little bit, I thought, okay, I can do that. I'll write a story about the future of the church, specifically how I believe, again, a full year before COVID hit, how I believe that church online is going to be more important than ever into the future and how live streaming and social media was going to impact the church. So I wrote an article, and Fox News gave that article the title, Church As We Know It Is Over, Here's What's Next. Now, I didn't choose that headline. Fox News chose that headline. And interestingly, or maybe not interestingly, certainly not surprisingly, within a few minutes, that post had received so much attention that it was elevated to the front page of Fox News right next to an article about Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and about Alyssa Milano's identity crisis. And there I was, right next to all of it, right next to Alyssa Milano, right next to Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi. My little story had gone up. And by the end of the day, there were literally thousands of comments on this post. And as of the last time I checked... There are about 5,200 comments on this post. Now, I had thought that I'd written this really insightful story, this really insightful report about what the future of the church would look like based on actual data, actual analytics, my own ministry experience tied in. I thought it was like nobody could complain about this, but it turns out that 5,195 of the 5,200 comments were against me. And some of them got mean, and some of them got nasty. A couple that stood out to me, a couple of more memorable ones, was this one that said that I looked like a spaced-out drug addict, which, you know, fair enough, I guess. Fair enough. I can handle that. And then there was this one that said that my predictions about the future of the church would lead to a spate of self-harm incidents. That was particularly nasty. My favorite part of this one, though, was that it was written by a person whose name was Hope, Faith, and Love. True 
story, true story. Now, believe me when I say that I wanted to respond to everybody. I wanted to respond to everybody who had said something mean and something that was nasty. But if there's one thing that I've learned during my time as an online pastor, it's that when you get into a debate with somebody about a topic that's polarizing, a topic that is a bit divisive, we usually have three options. We have three options when people start being divisive or just straight up mean. Now, the first option that we have, if you're following along at home, if you're taking notes, the first option we have is to just simply ignore the person. We can ignore them, but ignoring somebody who's being mean takes a lot of willpower, takes a lot of strength to not just respond back to somebody who's being straight up mean to you, especially when they're not just being mean about your idea, but they're being mean about you. Like they're saying that you look like a spaced out drug addict. It's hard to have the willpower to do that. It's also hard to ignore people at certain times, like especially if you're sitting across from them from at Christmas dinner <laughs> and they're giving you their conspiracy theories about absolutely everything. It's hard to ignore the person there, or it's hard to ignore them when they sit in the cubicle next to you at work. It's just simply hard to, to, to ignore them in those moments. And that's when a lot of us end up taking up the second option. And that's that we become like the person. We become like them. We get caught up in the arguments and we get caught up in the mean comments and we start to just become like people that we don't even like and we say things that we maybe don't even believe or we say things that we might even regret. See, when you weigh in on a debate that's polarizing or around a polarizing issue, it's hard not to say something that's polarizing and it's also hard not to be mean in a mean conversation. It's hard not to be mean when you're embroiled in a mean conversation. And on the other hand, it's also extremely rare that anybody ever had their mind changed because of a tweet or because of a comment on an online chat room. It's also rare that somebody's relationship, that your relationship with somebody was ever enhanced because of a polarizing conversation. It doesn't just happen. So what usually ends up happening is we waste a whole lot of our time and we ultimately destroy a relationship in the process when we get caught up in becoming like the person and just fighting fire with fire and being mean back. But there is a third option. There is a third option. This option is a little bit counterintuitive. And whether this is your first time in church, whether this is a church that you've been coming to for a long time, or if this is your first time in a long time, I guarantee you that everybody in this room, everybody who's watching online has already heard of this third option because it comes to us from one of the most amazing, one of the most memorable stories about Jesus. It's a story when Jesus is, during his ministry, he, he's out in the countryside and he gets approached by a teacher of the law, a guy who's an expert in the law. So think lawyer, okay? A lawyer comes up to Jesus and basically asks, how do I get into heaven? Now, 
I think in any day and age, that's a contentious issue, right? That's an issue that could get polarizing really quickly, especially in Australia. (laughs) If somebody came up and said, hey, how do I get into heaven? With all the different faiths and the different beliefs and the different structures that people have, that would be a polarizing conversation in Australia to have a lawyer come up to you and say, how do I get into heaven? But Jesus basically gives the answer, it's pretty simple, just love God and love your neighbor, And so the lawyer then, trying to trap Jesus and trying to take the polarizing conversation to the next level, says, well, who is my neighbor? That's a good answer, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus answers by telling a story that we've come to know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we can find this story in the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was a first century follower of Jesus who wasn't an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did, but he set out to investigate Jesus. He interviewed people who were eyewitnesses. He interviewed people who had firsthand experience with Jesus, and he wrote down Jesus' life story in a book that we call the Gospel of Luke. And that's where we find this story about the Good Samaritan. Now, as I said, I'm sure that most of you already know this story. You've probably heard it before or heard of it. So I'm going to skip some of the details and get straight into the guts of the story, okay? We find it in Luke chapter 10, and it says this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, remember, this is a made-up story, okay? This is a story that Jesus was telling. We call it a parable, which is basically a story that has a point to it, has a purpose to it, has a teaching element to it. And Jesus was answering this question, and he said, hey, it's, it's kind of like this, and he starts to tell this story. But it's a story that's based and grounded in reality. There's some details that Jesus gives that remind us that this is a story that is based in reality. See, this, the trip from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, was one that first century people would have made multiple times every single year. They would have made that trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus adds this point that a man was going down. Now, that's an interesting point because back then and to this day, Jericho is the lowest city on planet Earth. It is 240 meters below sea level. So this little point, Jesus was going, a man was going down, Jesus is grounding it in reality, right? I've actually made this trip via bus from from Jerusalem to Jericho multiple times, and I can tell you that in the 25-kilometer trip, your ears pop about a dozen times because the slope is so steep, and you're going down quite quick. It is a key element to this story that just grounds it into a little bit of reality. Now, in the first century, just a tip, they did not have buses, and so they had to walk this journey. And the interesting thing is that between Jerusalem and Jericho was a desert, and is a desert to this day. The desert we know as the Judean wilderness. This is a little bit of what it looks like. Now, in the Judean wilderness, especially during summer, temperatures can soar into the 50s, 50 degrees Celsius. And so to make that journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho, often the best, the safest way to do it would be to walk through the Wadi Kelt. This is a picture of the Wadi Kelt. Now, just so you know, Wadi is the Hebrew word for dry riverbed, okay? So this was a dry riverbed named Kelt. Now, this particular dry riverbed 
runs from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's in a canyon that is about 500 meters deep. I've actually hiked to the bottom of that canyon on a day that was 52 degrees Celsius. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, by the time I got to the bottom of that wadi, there was about a 20 degree drop in temperature. It was amazing. So you can imagine in the first century why people would want to go this particular way. Now, the interesting thing here is I'm going to try, I'm going to try this laser out and see if, oh, look at that. Okay, do you see this line over here, just right there? Do you see that little line that runs there? That is a modern-day aqueduct that is built on the first century Roman aqueduct, which most people think was the way that a lot of people would have walked. They would have walked alongside the aqueduct, okay? They wouldn't have walked in the, in the base of it right here. Now, you see this little pathway here? That is a pathway that's about maybe two feet wide, and that's been made by modern-day hikers, okay? So that path probably wasn't there. Here's a closer look at it. Okay, go back one. Sorry, my bad. Go back one. So that, that path was made by modern-day hikers. That wasn't around during Jesus' time, most likely. Now, while this was the safest way to walk from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it was also the most dangerous way. Because you can see already that there are a lot of blind turns where robbers could hide, And now, here's that closer look. There were also a lot of caves along this route that if a robber jumps out and gets you, they can drag you into one of those caves, beat you, leave you for dead, and get away scot-free, right? So it was safe because it got you out of the heat, but it was also extremely dangerous because you were more likely to be robbed and to be taken advantage of. So Jesus is telling this story about this man who is on these paths and gets robbed and he gets beaten and he gets left for dead. And you probably already know the rest of the story that along come two people and literally step over the man and just keep moving. They don't offer any help at all. But then along comes a Samaritan. A Samaritan man comes along and he not only helps the man, he puts him up onto his donkey, takes him off to hospital, and then goes one step further and pays for the man's medical bills. Now, a Samaritan is a person who comes from Samaria. Samaria is an area of, or was an area of Jerusalem that was just a little bit north of Jerusalem. But the people of Samaria were considered the opponents to the Jewish people. There was a lot of bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. By the time Jesus told this story, there were decades of bad blood, in fact. And it was based on racial, political, and religious reasons. So for decades, there'd been this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so the people in Jesus' story, when he's telling this story and he talks about the two people that stepped over, they knew because Jesus was using a common parable theme that a third person would come along. And I bet all the Jewish people in Jesus' audience were thinking, oh, this third person's going to be a Jewish person. And they're going to come in and they're going to save the day. That's all they had in their mind, I'm sure. They probably expected Jesus saying, and then along came a rabbi and saved the day, and everybody in the audience would cheer, yes, we're the best, we're the best. See, back in Jesus' day, the Jewish people didn't believe there was such a thing as a good Samaritan because they didn't think there was any good in a Samaritan. They were the villain of every story. But then Jesus does something really scandalous 
Jesus makes the villain the hero of the story. And again, I can just imagine him, he knew this, he was about to say this, right? And I can imagine him building up the tension a little bit. Everybody's listening in on this story and they're like, oh, the Jewish person's going to save the day. Listen, listen, everybody listen. Jewish person's going to save, watch this, watch this. And Jesus says, but, and they're all leaning in a little bit, all really excited. But a Samaritan, and I bet everybody, whoa, wait, what? I bet they were, I bet they were gasping. Everybody's grabbing their pearls in shock. He did, he said, wait, what? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Jesus does something absolutely scandalous by making the villain the hero of the story. So you remember the rest of the story, right? The Samaritan takes the man, puts him on his donkey, takes him off to hospital, and then pays for his hospital bills. And for that reason, a lot of us read this story, and we assume that it's just basically about the need for us to do good to other people, which is a great, great, great thing. We should try to help other people in need. But that's not really the point. See, I, I did a quick Google search today for Good Samaritan, and this is some of the headlines that came up just this past week, yeah? A bank robbery suspect stopped by Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan stops unconscious driver's SUV on a busy road. Good Samaritan saves Florida woman from, and dog from burning home. See, we make this story about doing good for other people, which is good, but it's not the point of the story. See, remember, Jesus told this story because a man had asked him a divisive question, who is my neighbor? And in answer to that question, Jesus started to tell this story. So when he gets to the end of his story, Jesus turns back to this lawyer and says this, so which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, again, I want you to catch some of the tension here. Okay, Jesus had said something that was shocking. He had set up the villain, the Samaritan, as the hero of this story, and he's driving the point home. He had just experienced all the pearl grabbing. He had just experienced all the gasps and all the shock. And then he says to the man, So, who do you think was the neighbor to the man? He asks a question so that the lawyer will deduce it for himself. Rather than spelling it out, he wants the lawyer to understand and, and say the answer for himself. And Luke records that this. He says, the expert in the law replied, and I get the feeling in this moment, the lawyer's like, oh, I don't want to say this. He's got me. Dang it. I have to rethink everything now don't want to say it. Did he really just ask me, am I supposed to say, do I have to say the word? Do I have to, the, and he can't even, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Jewish people in that age considered, they would refer to Samaritan people as dogs. They would refer to Samaritan people as half-breeds. And this lawyer I think, can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. And I think between, you know, from within his teeth and through pursed lips, I think he said, the one who had mercy on him. 
They couldn't even say the word Samaritan because they were so despised. But you see, Jesus' whole point is that when, you, when he said to love your neighbor, he wasn't just referring to the people who look like you, who eat like you, who are born where you were born, who believe the same things that you believe, who vote the same way, who have the same opinions that you do, who follow the same people on social media that you do, who barrack for the same football team that you do. He wasn't just saying those things. In fact, Jesus was quoting a verse out of Leviticus that says, but love your neighbor as yourself. See, this wasn't something that Jesus just came up with in the moment and thought was good. He was actually quoting from the book of Leviticus, which is the book of the law to Jewish people, that says, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to get into heaven, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's really that simple. And the interesting thing is that the Hebrew word we translate as neighbor in this verse is the word reya. Reya is the Hebrew word. And this Hebrew word, the definition for this word reya, it refers to people who are your friends, but it also refers to people who are your opponents. It refers to people who live next door to you. It refers to people who are your relatives. It refers to people who are your friends, but it also refers to the people who are your opponents as well. Yeah, Loving your neighbor means loving the people who have opposing points of view. It means loving people who have opposing or different political views, different racial views, different faith journeys, people who live different, who make different lifestyle choices than what you make. Jesus was telling us that we have to love them as well because loving your neighbor is not, your neighbor is not just the people who are like you, It is also the people who are nothing like you. Your neighbor is not just people who are like you. It is also the people who are nothing at all like you. And in outlining this idea, Jesus was giving us the third option on how to deal with mean people. And that third option, to be super clear, was really simple. That third option was to love the person. It's to love the person who's saying something mean, who's doing something mean, who's saying something divisive, who's saying something polarizing. Jesus was telling us we need to love that person. And can I be super honest with you right now? This third option, man, it is the hardest option. It is the hardest option. It is hard to be kind to somebody who's being mean to us. It is even harder to be kind who's being mean to someone that we love. I can handle you saying that I look like a spaced out drug addict, but if you attack any of my kids or any of my children, oh, it's a whole other level of meanness, yeah? It is hard to be kind. It is hard to love the people who are mean to us. It really is. It requires a level of courage and a level of humility that honestly, not a lot of us have. But loving your neighbor was not just a suggestion. Loving your neighbor was not just a suggestion. Jesus didn't just one go, here's a pretty cool idea. Why don't you love your neighbor? No, he was telling us that we have to love our neighbors. And if you're a follower of Jesus here today, 
Let me go the other way. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you can choose any of the three options. That's totally fine. It is. If you don't follow Jesus, choose any of the three options. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't have a choice in this matter. Jesus only gives you one option. And he does that because if you're not serving, if you're, for this reason, you're not serving Jesus when you win an argument, but you lose a relationship. You're not serving Jesus when you win the argument, got him, but you lose the relationship in the process. See, regardless of whether you, regardless of wherever you stand on that faith spectrum, whether you follow Jesus or you don't, whether this is the church that you come to all the time or you've never been to church before, regardless of where you stand, this third option really is the option that has the most potential to do the most good. And it will make the biggest difference in a conversation that's turning mean. And not just make a difference to the person who you're having the conversation with, but it's the one that's going to have the mo- make the most difference to you. It's going to have the potential to make the most difference to you. Because we've all heard it said, right, that hurt people hurt people. And usually when there's an argument online, it's because someone has heard about something, maybe a point of view or, or, or a theory or an idea that they have, and somebody's attacking that, so they get hurt. And so what do they do? They hurt other people back. And that's typically what happens, right? So, so we've heard that saying, hurt people hurt people. But when, when you show kindness, when you show compassion to people who are hurt, when you give them love and kindness instead of giving them a piece of your mind, when you do that, you have the potential to make a huge difference in their life. And you have the potential to make a huge difference in your life as well. See, as my friend Bob Goff says, most people need love and acceptance more, (laughs) a lot more than they need advice. Most people need love and acceptance a lot more then they need advice and advice. And isn't that true? Isn't that true of you as well? Don't you want love and acceptance? And that's what Jesus calls us to be to all people if we follow him. And the thing, one of the things that helps me do this on a regular basis, whenever I'm getting engaged in a conversation that's starting to turn mean, starting to turn divisive and polarizing, one of the things that I do, which has really helped me a lot to just hit the pause button on a, on, a, on a mean conversation, is to ask a simple question that starts with the phrase, can you help me understand? Can you help me understand how you came to that conclusion? Can you help me understand where that idea comes from? Can you help me understand why you said that in that way? Can you help me understand why I look like a spaced-out drug addict? Well, the answer's right here, so. But this question, can you help me understand, has this ability to disarm a conversation by hitting the pause button before things get out of control, before you say something that you're going to regret, before you say something that's going to get to that point where you can't take it back anymore and you say something that you didn't mean to say or didn't want to say and you ended up being mean. This question really helps with that. It can help give you insights into the other person and it gives them time to really unpack their thoughts rather than just making a bold statement a divisive statement. It helps them unpack it a little bit and it gives you the opportunity just to hit the pause button, take a breath and try to understand the other person and understand their point of view. Can you help me 
understand. This is really helpful to give you insights into the person because asking questions is always a good thing, yeah? Asking questions of somebody is always a good thing rather than making bold statements. As one of the greatest theologians, one of my favorite theologians in recent times once said, be curious, not judgmental. And you know the theologian who said that? Ted Lasso. But it's true. So let me ask you this question. The next time that you're in a situation where the noise is starting to be cranked up and things are getting out of control and things are getting heated and people are starting to say mean things and polarizing things, what would it look like for you to love instead of argue? That's the question I have for you. What would it look like for you to love the other person instead of argue with the other person? Instead of fighting fire with fire and getting mean, what would it look like for you to be kind and to respond in love to the other person? Not just put up with them, not just ignore them, but do what Jesus said and to think through how you can love and accept people who are mistreating you or who are mean to you. See, ignoring the other person is natural. Becoming like the other person and fighting fire with fire, that's predictable. But Jesus invites us to do something that's unpredictable. He invites us to do something that will completely change the game. He invites us to do something that is extraordinary. See, you often don't have control about what the other person is doing, what the other person says, how they respond to things. The only thing you do have control over is how you respond. That's the one thing that you have control over when things are getting heated and out of control. And I think Jesus calls us to this because he knew, he knew and he understood that loving someone, being kind to somebody who's being mean to us, will not only help free them from their hurt, but ultimately, Jesus knew it would free us as well. He knew that our steps, our actions to be kind to the people who mistreat us would free us from our own ability to be mean, from our own guilt, from our own hurts and pains. That's why he calls us to do something that is extraordinary unpredictable, unnatural, but ultimately has far greater impact on the other person, on our community, and ultimately on us. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody who's here today, everybody who's watching online, the next time you're in a heated conversation, when somebody was being mean to you, could you imagine what happened if everybody here made that commitment to say, I'm going to be kind to the people who are mean to me? Can you imagine what would happen? Could you imagine the difference we would make in our local communities, in our local neighborhoods, in the wider Sunshine Coast? See, we can't be for the Sunshine Coast if we are against the people who live in the Sunshine Coast. If we present to them a version of Jesus that is anti-everything, that is against everything. We We are for the Sunshine Coast when we show them a version of Jesus that is kind and loves them and welcomes and accepts them. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and the way that he gives us this third option. And Father, I'm just going to admit what I think everybody's probably thinking, loving the people who are kind to us, loving that person who we're thinking of right now, who's in our mind, who's been mean to us or mean to somebody that we love. I'm going to call it out. It's hard. It's hard, God. And I don't know if I have the ability to do it, but I believe that we have the ability to do it through you. So God, would you, in the coming week, just give us opportunities to be for the people who are around us by being kind to them, by giving them compassion and love instead of giving them a piece of our mind or giving them our opinion. God, we need you to supernaturally come in and do something that we can't do on our own because it's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard. So God, would you take control of our mouths, take control of our thoughts, and help us to remember this key thing that we are to love our neighbor. And that wasn't just a suggestion, but you, your son made it because he knew that it would be a game changer for all of us. So would you remind us of that? Give us the strength to do it. Give us the ability to hit the pause button and show kindness and compassion and love to the people who are around us today. We pray this in the amazing, the amazing, unpredictable, exciting, new way of thinking name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen. Hey guys, thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.